passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Kip Reynolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. I am in the visiting coach's box at about the 40-yard line in Allegiant Stadium down in Las Vegas where Washington defeated Oregon 34-31 to in front of an announced crowd of 61,195. And, uh, yeah, first of all, the stadium's absolutely gorgeous. This is probably the nicest stadium I've ever been in. It's kind of weird because the uh, Raiders play on turf. And everybody else plays on, excuse me, the Raiders play on grass and everybody else plays on turf. They're actually turning the stadium over right now for the uh, game tomorrow with um, UNLV. But um, they slide in the grass field over the turf. And this is probably one of the worst turf fields I've ever seen. Big seams, uh, wrinkles in it. Uh, there were high spots and low spots and it was really spongy. You know, I was talking to some people before Lincoln Kennedy and, um, some of the other guys and they couldn't believe Mark Bruner. They couldn't believe the turf out there. Uh, I don't know. If it, I don't know if that was the fault for Dylan Johnson tripping or not, but did they mention that at all on the broadcast? No, the reason why Dylan Johnson fell was because he's always kind of on the edge of spinning out. <laughs> that's just kind of the way that's his running style. And unfortunately, he sometimes has difficulty getting his feet under him when he's trying to get outside and trying to, to get separation. And he didn't need to. The thing there. is, the thing is, he didn't need to go outside. He could have just put his foot in the ground, cut it up and got five more yards and got a first down. Yeah, but that's you know, that's not his style, is it? His style is to go 100 percent all the time, being a battering ram and going after everybody, which obviously served him very, very well tonight. But on yeah. that particular play sometimes throttling it down like at the very end when he took a knee when he when he could have kept going just having a little bit of awareness would have really served him well at that point yeah and for those who've been to the games in santa clara and then here they um (laughs) back 12s really cut the budget back on a lot of things but the set the setting here is fantastic they uh They've really gone low budget. The, the Pac-12 is not spending any money. It's kind of crazy, just some of the things that they cut back on. But, you know, to start the game, Washington looked really good on offense coming down. Jalen McMillan looked 100% back and then forcing Oregon to a three and out. And I think that kind of set the tone for the game. Yeah, they, 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 um, they held Oregon to three three and outs in their first four possessions. And it was sandwiched by that 112 play drive. Uh, where they kicked the field goal. So they had one field goal and three three and outs basically the entire first half until the very, very end of the first half when they scored a touchdown with, I think, less than 10 seconds into the half. 
And Scott, that was the Michael Penix that we've seen at the beginning of the year. The, that's the Michael Penix we saw against USC, Oregon early in the year. And then that was the J- Jalen McMillan that we saw early in the season. And then Dylan Johnson really came on. But the, I think the big key to the game is we saw the real Michael Penix and the real Jalen McMillan tonight. Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree with you on that. And the, the other thing is, too, I don't know, because, Kim, you, you're down on the field, so you don't see it as much as we do. They get a lot. They had a lot of close-ups of Michael Penix and Bo Nix. Bo Nix, while he played pretty well, you could tell the pressure was getting to him. I mean, he, he was very stoic. He was, he, you could tell there was something going on in his head that I got to play better. I got to do more. I got to do this, that, and all that. Michael Penix, you know, he just seemed loose. I don't know, Chris, if you saw the same thing, but he did not seem like the guy who was uptight tonight. Yeah, guys, all week, you know, I had to do a few radio hits for, for Portland Radio, and those guys are great down there. But, you know, they, I mean, they're asking questions about Penix. They're wondering, is he banged up? The national perception is something's off with him. What's And so I tried to explain to him some of the things that were going on. But yet I, I just think nationally people thought that something was going on with Michael Penix and he has to be dinged up or something. The bottom line is, is that it's just really hard to win and win convincingly, and that was this. That's why Bo Bo Nix was so good over generally over the course of the season. But here's the main point, guys. The main point is, and I tried to harp on this too, because everyone talked about how Oregon was probably just going to jump out to a big lead and then run away, and they were going to cover that big spread, double-digit spread. The money was heading towards Oregon. All of that. Bottom line is, Oregon hadn't been in the deep water in the fourth quarter. And I think that when, we, when you guys talk about it, when you look at his expression, maybe the, the, the head under the towel, all that kind of stuff, that to me was a signal that Bo Nix was feeling it. Whereas with Michael Penix, he's, he's, he's seen this before. He's done it many, many times this year. He was in his element. And to be able to make some of the plays he made at the end of the game and to also rely on some of the guys that were having great games like J-Mac, like Dylan Johnson – I mean, that's what it's all. That's what it was all about. And again, going into the fourth quarter, Oregon hadn't been there in a long time, if ever, outside of the Washington game in Seattle. Washington had been there quite a bit. And Scott, you take a, you talk about Bo Nix, you know, feeling the pressure. And I think Bo Nix has felt the pressure ever since he was in high school. He was a highly touted guy coming out of high school. A lot of expectations at Auburn. A lot of expectations. Transfers to Oregon. A lot of expectations. Where Michael Penix. He wasn't a highly recruited guy out of high school, wasn't that well thought of, you know, nationally when he was at Indiana and a lot of people dismissed him. And Michael's just kind of got that killer in him instead of the golden boy. Michael's kind of a killer. Yes, uh, he he definitely had it. And, and it was nice to see him, you know, play loose for once. You know, I think he had been pressing a little bit over the last few weeks. And, um, you know, the, you had the bad weather game at, at Oregon State. You had the Washington State game where he was pressing. It looked like everybody on the team except for Romo Dunze was pressing um, and everything like that. But this game, he just came out and it seemed like he was the gunslinger that we were used to. Kim, you've already, we've already mentioned it earlier, you know, that he just he looked like a different guy. He looked like the guy that we saw in the first six weeks of the season before the, you know, right till, right up to the Oregon game. And then after that, something happened whether he got hurt, whether whether it was, um, you know, him getting tight a little bit because Michael Penix has never, 
played for a team like this before. Bo Nix has never played for a team like Oregon before, where all these expectations are being heaped on him. And, yeah. and you know, Penix, I think, handled a little bit better tonight. Bo Nix didn't play terrible, but he didn't do enough for them to win. I thought Dylan Johnson maybe had his best game of the season. I know he had that one big, big, big game. But uh, Dylan Johnson, he had 28 carries for 152. Yeah, yeah, long, yeah. One of eighteen, though, so it wasn't yeah. like. Well, and, he and, that was <laughs> and that was the last run. And that was the last run. Yeah, let yeah. me tell you something. Down on the goal line, watching him, he was punishing guys. He oh yeah, they're punishing guys. That that one where he ran over that linebacker um, on his last uh, on the last touchdown drive, um, when he ran him ran ran him over right at about the I don't know two or three yard line, maybe four yard line, and Kurt Kirk Herbstreit was just like. He is punishing people. He yeah. is absolutely laying blows on these guys, and it is wearing them down. And think about this too, Kim. I don't know if you saw it, but we could see it on the on the TV. He he was limping for probably three quarters of that game. Didn't he was that. not. Yeah, he was he was playing basically on one leg, and you could see it in his. I don't know if Chris saw it, but you could see it in his face a couple times where he told the he told the trainer to get away from him. He didn't want to talk to them. Yeah, you couldn't you you couldn't tell when he was running no. that he was really gutting it through. But when the play was over and maybe they'd go back into the muddle huddle or get back where his team was, you could tell he wasn't a hundred percent at all. One thing I will say though is that he was the shining example, and Scott laid out exactly why. But whether it was Herb Street saying it, whether it was the guys uh, back at ESPN Central when they were going through the the halftime stuff, they all remarked Washington played this game at a level of physicality that Oregon just didn't match. They didn't match it at halftime. They didn't match it at the end of the game. They didn't match it in the moments that mattered. And that was a huge part of this thing because going into this game, what was the big storyline? The big storyline was that Oregon was going to impose their will and their physicality and their athleticism and their bodies and their, you know, five-star, four or five-star guys on Washington. This was the time when they were going to get their revenge. And it was like the exact opposite happened, because if you look at the stats, Washington, they dominated the time of possession, 37 to 23. They dominated the plays, 78 plays to 54. And that was that that was the game right there, because Washington, when they got ahead, guys, they never allowed Oregon to really get back in this game, even when they got ahead ahead late. And I think Washington still did their thing. They didn't stop being Washington. And I think the big big key to the game is when we talk about Michael Penix being back and seeing Michael Penix back, Jalen McMillan, he's been back for a couple of weeks, but he hasn't been back like this. Jalen yep. Polk has been back, but not like this. And the one pass to Jalen McMillan, boy, he, um, he threaded it in there. But, you know, J-Mac just changed this offense, in my opinion. Oh, and he did. He it. definitely did. Yeah, he, yeah, he everyone, definitely Everyone knew it. Everyone knew that he was going to if he was if he was up to it physically. Because he he is as good a slot guy. You know, the Seahawks see it now with Jackson Smith and Jigba. He's that kind of guy. He can do it from a number of different places. He can stretch the field vertically, but he can also get that third key, that third, uh, that key third down uh, play to to move the chains late in the game, which, you know, that J-Mac, that was his play like it was Roma Dunze's play to seal the game at Oregon State, right? So, Having those guys healthy and available, that just that just made Washington even more uh, even tougher to, to defend than they would have already been. 
Scott, that pass that uh, uh, Michael threw to uh, Jalen McMillan down to the goal line, I thought he was going to hit the ceiling. That thing was like a punt. <laughs> yeah, I, we couldn't tell how high he threw it, but he did throw it high, and it, it just arced perfectly right into Jalen McMillan. It was too bad he couldn't score, but Washington was able to score on the next play. Um, and, and ironically, Dylan Johnson had as many touchdown passes as Michael Penix did. Um, so that, that was, I thought that was kind of funny too, but, um, yeah, I mean, his long throw to McMillan and then he had, um, that one to Jalen Polk that kind of reminded me a little bit of the one that was intercepted by Washington state, but this time Jalen Polk fought for it and took it away from the Oregon defender. So there were so many plays and that was one of them where Washington made, and just the body language of the Oregon defense, it was just like, are you kidding me? I mean, just the body language at times. Yeah, yeah. You you could tell that Washington was wearing on those guys tonight. I mean, I haven't seen Washington do that to a team in a long, long time. Yeah, you know, but uh, you got to give props to the defense, too. This Oregon team has been just mowing people over. And I know they gave up 31 points, but uh, except for the final touchdown they had, they had to work for every inch they got tonight. Well, yeah, and the other thing, too, guys, is that everyone, again, was talking about the margins of victory in the games after the Oregon-Washington game in Seattle. Washington was winning games by an average of a touchdown or less. And Oregon was winning games by about 25, 26 points a game. So everyone was talking about how stark that contrast was and how Oregon was on the ups and Washington had just kind of fiddled things away. But what they forgot to tell everyone was that neither team had lost a game. Washington had not been behind in any of the last two games as close as they were. What was it? A total of five points combined, three in the Apple Cup, two at Oregon State yet they never trailed. So if you really wanted to look at the numbers and you really wanted to take the deep dive, I think there was a lot of things about what Washington was doing that the national people just didn't delve into as deep as they could have. Washington is undefeated, and they went into this game. I wa- I took a look in the sports book before I came over. Nine points. And guess what the over-under was, by the way, I, on, on points? It was right around 66, 65, 66. It was right there. It was 65. Yeah. And they scored 65 points. <laughs> but, no, they, yeah, so, hey, Kim, did, great, but, did but you see that? Get that how did they get that margin so wrong? Yeah. Did you see that Jack and I both uh, picked the score on the money? Uh-huh. Yeah, I got, you, I got you some orange slices and a juice box. Okay. And Fetters, will you pat him on the head for me? I gave you a tweet. <laughs> oh, hey, me? Oh. Yeah, you and Jack. Okay. Hey, let me just go down some stats that just really jump out. Total yardage, Oregon with 363, Washington with 481, uh, net yards rushing 157, uh, Oregon uh, 124. And you get Washington 154 yards rushing. They're going to be tough to beat. Uh, net yards passing, you know, Michael Penix. Uh, yeah, why isn't that coming out? 300, 319 yards. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Michael Penix was 27 of 39 for 319. He had an interception. And I'm not sure what that throw was about, but uh, Mish Powell kind of bailed him out and getting one. But take a look at these receiving stats. I think that's what really jumps out. 
uh, for me. Uh, Jalen McMillan had nine receptions for 131. Yeah, he was back, and he was targeted 13 times. Romo Dunsey, eight receptions for 102. Uh, Jalen Polk, five for 57, and uh, big play, uh, JP, seemed to come up. Uh, Jack Westover didn't have an acrobatic or, you know, a game-saving catch at all. Uh, so uh, just one catch for um, uh, Jack Westover. And Dylan Johnson, again, uh, where's his numbers real quick? He was 28, 28 rushes for 152 yards. And, and two touchdowns, yeah. Yeah, we saw Will Nixon got one carry. Um, we did not see Tybo Rogers. I don't know what's going on with that. He was not here at the game today. I, I know what's going on. So it's not good. Yeah, so not we'll good. We'll just leave it at that. Yep. Yeah, Bo Nix, 21 of 34 for 239, three touchdowns and an interception. And uh, where is it? Bucky Irving. Um, Bucky Irving, he only had nine attempts for 20 yards. Does that kind of surprise you, Scott? They only handed it the ball. It did. And I, I think a big reason why was Washington got out to a 10 nothing lead. And I think they felt they had to throw it around a little bit more. The other thing is, too, Kim, um, Oregon uh, finished the night with, what was it, 124 yards on the ground. 44 of those was that busted, uh, you Bo know, went, went Bo Nix thing. Take that away. Washington gave up 80 yards to one of the best rushing teams in the entire country. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. And it, Kim, I would also say, too, real quick, in terms of not only did they only limit them to 54 total plays, guys, but with those three three and outs to start the game, sandwiched yeah. by that. But the other drive for the field goal was 12 plays. So they literally had 21 plays in the first half before that touchdown drive at the very, very end, which if you know we're putting on the purple glasses – you can look at that interference call by Jabbar Muhammad and go, what were they even looking at? I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. But either either way, even if you even if you give them all that, whatever that is, you you have 21 plays until that drive, and literally they have three points. That's the, yeah. that's the game. That's the game right there, guys. Because if you look at it, 34 passes for Bo Nix, 20 runs. If you yeah. would have told me that Bucky Irving had 20 yards in this game, I would have I would have maybe said Washington wins by double digits. Because yeah. the key to this game was going to be stopping that and then getting some production out of Dylan Johnson. Dylan Johnson absolutely went leaps and he, he, he ran circles around Oregon's running backs tonight. No one would have predicted that except for maybe the, the most diehard Washington fans out there that that are just, you know, hell bent for they're going to they're going to do everything right. Well, based on the season, there's just no way you would have predicted that. Right. Washington jumps out to a 20 to three lead and then Oregon gets the ball back and uh, they were able to, uh, you know, score, uh, you know, score a touchdown uh, before the end of the half. And then they got the ball back early in the second half. So Oregon made a hell of a comeback. Yeah, they oh, had yeah. 20. They had 21 unanswered points, Kim. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're the only ones that scored in the third quarter. Washington only got the ball once, I think, in the third quarter. So Yeah, that middle that middle eight yeah. that everyone talks about, Oregon won that middle eight. They won by, far, by far, by yeah. far, yeah. The, the, the other thing is, too, and then you talk about the last, you know, that last drive. Kim, and I'm sorry if I'm jumping ahead, but, you know, what if you're playing prevent defense, how does a guy go through your defense for 63 yards on a catch and run? I, I mean – Oh, they, they they needed to make them work harder for that. Yeah. And they didn't. Yeah. So no, for sure. But even when those even when you're talking about that middle third and, and Oregon dominating that, did you guys feel at all like it felt like the Seattle game all over again 
where a Washington little bit, a little bit up that lead. And then all of a sudden, Oregon comes storming back, and there's really not a response by Washington. Or if they tried to respond, they kind of shot themselves in the foot with the interception and then giving the ball up on downs kind of in that moment. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, they get behind. And I'm telling you what, guys, they get into that deep water, and it's just nothing for them. They, they're just like, yeah, this is good. We're fine with it. Michael Penix is smiling, yeah. even if he throws an interception or – doesn't complete a pass to a guy. They're looking at each other. They have it all kind of figured out for the next play. And it just doesn't phase them. And it's just impressive how they're able to just kind of stay in the moment and not let it get too big for them, even though it's, it was absolutely huge. Well, I just think you mentioned it earlier with the physicality of this team. I just think that Washington was just so much more of a physical team. And, there's all more substance to what Washington is doing. I, even when Washington got behind, you know, in the second half, they didn't seem phased. They didn't lose their cool at all. Yeah, at all. And, and I would even say, Kim, like even on those those touchdown drives near the end, where where maybe Ryan Grubb is starting to 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 try to find some isolation stuff for Rome, and it doesn't come off, and you got Washington fans going, "Hey, you've got them on the ropes. Just let the bleed the clock. Keep running the ball because DJ is running the ball so well." It's like, but that's not who they are. They got here because of Romo Dunze. They got here by being aggressive with their receivers. They got here because Michael Penix is a wizard with the ball in his hands, and that's who they are. And so when you find a one-on-one opportunity to score a touchdown in the end zone, I don't know what Washington fans are looking at because they've done that all year long, and they haven't and they haven't shied away from it, right? They've always gone to that kind of stuff because that's what they do best. Just because it didn't come off today doesn't mean that they're going to stop doing it or look to do something else because that's just not who they are. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. I don't know, Scott, did you have a chance to hear Coach DeBoer? Uh, I mean, excuse me, Michael Panic's post game. I, I did not. I was I was busy working on stuff. So. Yeah. Uh, just when I asked him to break down that final uh, play to um, uh, Quentin Moore, I asked him if that was a check down or if that was something that he had to read. And um, he got a big smile on his face. And he said they've been holding that one, that play in their back pocket for a couple of weeks. And he told Quentin this week at practice, we're going to score on this play and you're going to get a touchdown. And it was kind of reminiscent of, you know, where the Washington State game last week, nobody expected that play to Rome on fourth down. I don't think anybody was anticipating a play, you know, a pass to Quentin Moore on the goal line. No, I certainly wasn't. I mean, a guy who, I don't know, I, I should have looked it's, it up. I think It was, it was his first touchdown. 
Yeah, well, it's his first touchdown, but it's also, yep. I mean, he's caught, what, maybe two or three passes in the entire season? Oh, I'd have to go back and look. I, yeah. I, don't, know if, I don't know if it's that few, but it doesn't, yeah. It isn't a lot. He doesn't, have, he doesn't have more than five, to my knowledge, but hey, yeah, I could be wrong. It's a long season, so. But yeah. uh, no, I mean, to throw it to a guy who doesn't catch that many passes, I mean, that that was. So let's say they don't make that play. By the that way, was, are they going for it or are they kicking a field goal? One catch for eight yards going into into tonight's game. Oh, okay. So there you go. But but the thing is, if they don't make that touchdown, do they go for it or do they kick a field goal? I think they go for it because that's been I, I, that's been that's who they are. I think okay. they would have gone for it as well. They were on the two yard line, I believe. Yeah. 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 Um, and again, it's not like the end of halves. So you're getting the benefit of burying Oregon at their at the one yard line or something if you don't get it, right? Yeah. And you're still ahead in the game. So there's that mm-hmm. to consider, too. Yeah. Hey, I don't know if you guys caught this or not, but I thought this is going to stick in my mind for a long time. But when Washington was on their last drive running out the clock. Did you guys notice Parker Brailsford's helmet came off? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and he had to sit out for a place. So. I'm sure Landon Hatchett was running all over looking for his helmet because Brillshirt had to come out for a play, and you sent a pure freshman in there to snap the ball. Well, I'm still, I'm still trying to figure out what is considered a personal foul in those circumstances. When 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 the when another player from the other other team rips your helmet off, is is that not a personal foul? Or I, well, I mean, I'm it not wasn't hitting for it, but I'm just like, does that is that just happen naturally? Is it just because? The referees decide that the helmet was looser than it should have been or something. I don't, I don't understand. It, it, it wasn't just that Oregon took a timeout right after that play. Yeah. So I thought if there was a timeout that the player didn't have now, granted it was from the other team. So maybe it had to be the Huskies taking a timeout. I don't know if you, if you wanted him to snap the ball, but um, I thought he didn't have to leave when the timeout was called, but yeah, yeah. I was asking, I was asking guys on the sideline. I asked the ESPN guy and he goes, no, no, no. He, he doesn't have to sit out and play cause it was a timeout, but mm-hmm. I saw Lance go back out there for one play and he did his job. <laughs> so good for him. Oh yeah. No, I mean, they're, they're, in, they're enjoying things right now. We've, I saw some stuff on Twitter where the guys are like, Hey, you know, we beat them in their house. We beat them in our house. We beat them in neutral site. Nothing else to say, really. Nope. Yeah, no, it was a hell of a game. And uh, did you uh, three much- straight classic games for these programs? How how amazing is that? And all decided by three by points. three points. Yep, crazy. Yeah. So how much? Um, a, this is a ABC broadcast, not a Pac-12 network uh, broadcast. But how much uh, post game did they show, guys? None. None. Volleyball. No, no, no. The the ABC, ABC was ABC wasn't showing oh, volleyball. ABC, they, showed, ABC showed the whole thing, including the presentation. Yeah. Of the trophy because they own the rights to all that. No, Pac-12 networks were when they said that they were showing the press conference at the end, like with with either Dan Lanning or Kalen DeBoer, the the quarterbacks, what have you. They were showing USC UCLA volleyball, and yet they had something on the Chiron, the Chiron on the bottom saying. Pac-12 uh, championship press conference. It's like, that's the weirdest press conference I've ever seen, guys, because it looks like two teams playing volleyball. 
You know, it's unfortunate because there's some really good people that work for the network, but just some of the resources at hand. It's just like, you know, when trying to get into the stadium and we're having to go through the metal scanners and then having to pass our, our, you know, uh, bags through the scanners like you do at the airport. We get done to the scanners. We got 40 people waiting there because we can't get in because nobody knew where the bag tags were. So we sat down there for about a half an hour waiting for the bag tags. But it's just the little things like that. But, you know, and then just the post game and then uh, Pac-12 not having it, uh, you know, live streamed. I mean, they told me three times it was being live streamed on there. But, uh, you know, hey, you know, it was a hell of a win. And uh, it looks like uh, Pasadena. Is that what you guys are, are thinking? That's what I'm hearing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, what, yeah. Pasadena against likely Michigan. I mean, yeah, no question in my mind. That's happening. What I'm wondering, guys, and I posted this scenario out on the game day board, it, and I don't even think it, it really matters, but if Alabama beats Georgia tomorrow yeah, and, and Michigan does whatever it does against Iowa, does Washington, do they have a claim to number one? They have an argument, Chris. I still don't think it'll happen, but that's they have an. Ar- they definitely have an argument. Because if, if it, Georgia loses, if Georgia loses, Michigan wins. They're just going to let Michigan be the number one team. Washington would probably be number two, and and then you'd have uh, probably Alabama and likely Texas if both of those well, teams if win. Florida State. If Florida State. Florida wins, State's losing three. It, Florida State's losing. Don't worry. <laughs> well, they don't even have their. They don't even have their quarterback. But I'm just saying in my second quarterback is I'm out. I'm saying in my hypothetical, if Florida State does win, if Florida State wins, I think Florida State probably sneaks in at at number four. So would it be Florida State one? Oh, well, okay. So you don't think that they would go to three? I, I could see Alabama jumping them, beating the number one team in the country. I so could you're, see you're saying that the committee just keeping them at four because they would never not, you know, they would never deny. An undefeated FBS Power Five team, correct? correct. Yeah, and no. that won their conference. Okay. So, yeah. and airfares to LA are already really expensive around the holidays. So. <laughs> yeah, of course they are. Really expensive. So people uh, should be road tripping it anyway. Yeah. I, I want I want as much fumes going through California as possible because because all their stuff going on. Hey, Kim, um, I want people to know. So you you were able to catch up with a few players uh, on the field. You talked to ZTF. You talked to Jabbar. Can you kind of give us kind of a synopsis of of who you talked to and kind of the feeling when you were on the field? The thing that kind of surprised me, I had a chance to ZTF, Jabbar Muhammad, um, Coach Shepard, and he's always wound up. But and also Jack Westover was pretty emotional, but. These guys are pretty professional. It's kind of surprising. They're still young kids to me, but they're pretty professional. I think it impacted Jack Westover probably the most because he's a local guy and he's been around a long time. Um, And uh, Jabbar Muhammad, it it just – you guys know I'm not very big. I think I'm taller than Jabbar Muhammad, (laughs) by the way. So – but uh, he he was cool. And uh, Jamarcus is all wound up. One thing real quick, I was down on the field and Jabbar – Jamarcus Shepard. You guys know how crazy he is. So he comes up to me and he's got his fingers pointing both, you know, his two fingers pointing at his eyes and he's putting them in me and he goes, you don't have your game face on. You better get your game face on. And he's yelling at me. I'm going, what did I do? So Jamarcus was yelling at me before the game and 
Uh, it was good to see Dante Pettis here again. Big House and Morgan Roseboro was here. Um, God, there was a lot of former players down on the field. But uh, the video that they do from this game is going to be epic. And, uh, yeah, no, it was a good day. Good hey, day. How, how, by the way, um, I, I'm, I uploaded some pictures of Troy Dannon in the, you know, up with the trophy presentation and everything like that. You got to kind of feel for Troy Dannon because – Anything that happens from now is almost downhill. You know what I mean? Well, so talk about getting thrown in the deep end. Yeah. So, and here's the thing too. I won't tell you who sent me the text, but they said every time Washington wins, Kalen DeBoer is going to be asking for more money. Yeah. So here's the thing though. I remember the very, very first day I met Troy Dan and when he got introduced as Washington's next athletic director, I told him, by the way, you're coming in with some elite company because Jen Cohen, the week that she was announced as Washington's athletic director, the women's golf team won a national championship. Oh, and they did it in Eugene at Eugene country club. So go further, go further back. What happened with the year of the national championship? Barbara Hedges first year. Yeah. So, Maybe it's fitting. Maybe this this happens when when they maybe maybe athletic director is not named Todd Turner. So yeah. Either way, I was giving Troy a hard time because you know the last couple last two games at Oregon State and you know in the Washington State game, I said God I didn't recognize you. You 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 don't look cold or wet, and he just started laughing. It's pretty comfortable. So hey Kim, I know you've got to get going, but can you yeah. can you give us any sort of updates or anything that came out of the press conference with? Coach DeBoer or Mike or Rome or whoever you guys were able to talk to, was there anything notable? No, I, uh, you know, listen to Bo Nix. Somebody asked him about um, if he was going to play in the bowl game and, you know, he handled it professionally. You know, we just lost a game. You know, let's just absorb this one for a little while before we even visit there. He goes, I'm just thinking about this and I'm still upset. You know, so that was kind of interesting. He's a class act, but he's one of those guys. And Scott, you said, you know, I think the pressure gets to him a little bit. So, um, you know, so I, <coughs> excuse me, I thought that was interesting, but, uh, no, not really just like what I said, what Michael said about the, um, of the last play to Quentin Moore. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know if there's, it, I'm sure we could keep talking about this, honestly, cause there's a tons of things that we could talk about and we may even do another podcast down here when you get back to, yeah, we'll, to kind of, we'll do, uh, we'll do one Sunday for sure. Yeah, because by then they'll know where they stand in the pecking order, whether they end up number three, maybe they move up to number two if someone ahead of them loses. You never know. So there's all that kind of stuff. We will be talking to Kalen DeBoer on Sunday now. And I think, if I remember correctly, the official announcement of the playoff semifinal games is going to be at 9 o'clock West Coast time on Sunday yep. morning. Yep. So once that happens, they'll they'll send out an email letting us know what time the press conference will happen. I'm guessing, you know, maybe 11, 1130-ish, what have you. And then, obviously, we'll get a chance to talk to Kalen. I don't know if they'll bring any players, but uh, it's usually just the head coach uh, when they're announcing the bowl type stuff. And then, you know, maybe we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit more and, and add some more insight to, to what we've learned since. Hey, I'm going to give myself props for one thing. I did one thing right tonight. I got a picture of the scoreboard because, man, they took that down fast. So I got a picture of the scoreboard, so that's good. So good. Uh, let's wrap it up. I got a shuttle to catch. Otherwise, it's going to be a disaster for me to get back. Chris, okay, great. Oh, go ahead, Chris. I was just going to say 13-0, first time in school history. 
uh, third third Pac-12 championships out of three, so they're unbeaten in a Pac-12 championship game, which is amazing. And college football playoff again, and it, it should be the Rose Bowl. Going back to the the granddaddy of them all would be amazing. Should happen. I'm, I'm crossing my fingers and my toes right now. And so to have all that happen tonight, especially given the circumstances and everything that the Washington players and coaches had heard all week leading up to this game, it just makes it even more remarkable. So it's such an impressive performance and and not a performance that didn't have its obstacles and its adversity too. We talked about it, 21 straight points by Oregon. They got hit in the mouth hard in the middle of that third quarter, and yet they bounce back. They do what they do. They hung in the deep water in the fourth quarter, and Oregon folded. And that's the tale of this game, and it's it's it was amazing to see. Wrap it up, Scott Eklund. Uh, great win, 13 and 0. Can't can't you know add much more to what Chris said, man. It, it's just it was fun. It was a fun game to watch. I think most Husky fans would say these last three Oregon games have taken years off of their life um, with what it's done to their hearts. But um, man, this team just keeps figuring out ways to win. They they keep beating better teams that many people believe are better. I don't think they necessarily are, but many people believe they are. Um, like where Washington is heading into this uh, next couple of weeks when they got to sign their 2024 recruiting class. They got to get some portal guys in here to take the place of the guys who are going to be leaving either to the NFL or graduating. So going to be a really crazy two or three weeks as we head into bowl practices and all that different stuff. And uh, it's going to be fun. I, I'm, I'm glad we get to uh, be working here for the next month. Yeah, we get at least one more game to follow these guys, uh, hopefully two, you know, and everything indicates everybody's thinking that Washington is going to be playing um, Michigan in Pasadena on January 1st. So uh, we'll kind of cross our fingers because I think that would be a great matchup. And uh, just another quick reminder before I forget, Washington plays Colorado State to um, tomorrow, and that's a four o'clock tip off. So it'll be interesting to see how they do because Colorado State beat Washington, excuse me, beat Colorado a couple nights ago and Colorado's a pretty good team so hey it's kind of crazy down here I'm not back until Sunday morning I got a nine o'clock flight out so good thing they have internet on the planes so uh, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up and get downstairs and hopefully catch that last shuttle back just one question for you Chris and Scott one question all right ready go when I get back to the hotel what should I have to drink uh, Buffalo Trace, you know that's my you're deal. You're not talking about the mini. Are you going to the mini bar? No, I'll go to I'll go to the sports bar probably. And Buffalo like, Trace, you know, maybe. I know what you'll have. You'll you'll find some nice bottle of wine. I would imagine glass of wine. Yeah. All See right. if they have some pappy, Kim. There you go. Rock <laughs> pappy. Yeah, 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 it's Vegas. Yeah, it's only $730 plus a yeah, handling true. fee of $25. But anyways, all right. Well, let's wrap it up. So. Uh, again, stay tuned. We'll have complete coverage again on Sunday for uh, the bowl selection show. So for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. 
Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.